Welcome to the Fan Power Podcast, where we talk about fan engagement through the lens of first-party and zero-party data. Uh, today, I am joined by Grant Cohen, the Chief Growth Officer and co-founder at Fan Controlled Sports and Entertainment, formerly Fan Controlled Football. Uh, Grant, welcome. I, I'd love for, for you to tell us a little bit uh, about yourself and, uh, and about Fan Controlled Sports and Entertainment. Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, I am, as you mentioned, the co-founder and chief growth officer of Fan Controlled Sports Entertainment. That is quite a mouthful. Uh, I'm a Scorpio. I like tropical vacations. I mean, I don't know what else you need from me. Uh, yeah, so I, I, we started this business, uh, uh, me and uh, two other uh, tech geeks, if you will, my backgrounds in uh, mobile ad tech, um, you know, the distribution and monetization of mobile apps and games. Uh, and then our fourth co-founder is a former NFL player. Uh, we started the business uh handful of years ago, originally by buying a arena football team that was kind of our proof of concept uh, where we tested out this model of fan-controlled football. Uh, we eventually expanded. You know, that went so well that we ended up starting our own league and have ex- eventually expanded that. And now we're uh, spreading our wings into new sports and other areas as we are fan-controlled sports uh, and kind of all-encompassing. But the same core concept is the same. We're trying to create a more interactive sports viewing experience for the fans where they actually participate uh, as part of their favorite team. That's awesome. So I've been, uh, obviously I've known about you guys for, for a few years, probably since your inception in, in 20. Uh, but what's, th- there's two things that, that have struck me from a, from a founder perspective. One, I could tell you were from the, the world of product or tech because you quite literally bought a team as a proof of concept, basically yeah. an MVP. <laughs> Uh, yeah, and so exactly. I'd love to hear the, the thinking behind that. But before we get into that, um, what was the, you know, what was the origination story? Were you guys sitting there saying there has to be a better way to do this? Like, where did it, where did it start? Yeah. I mean, depends on which one of us you ask, you get a slightly different story. Uh, my story is the right one. Uh, so you've come to the right place. Uh, I, so for me, it actually started funnily enough with three other friends, not the three who have, you know, th- at that time I didn't know my current three co-founders. Uh, they've since become great friends, but um, we have three friends from college and we were sitting in a bar in New York a long time ago, uh, you know, well, a decade and a half ago, watching a baseball game. And the idea just stuck. It was, you know, so you're sitting around a bar watching a game and you start talking about you know, things that a manager is doing or decisions they've made and, you know, saying you could do a better job. And it's just this, we started talking about this idea of like, well, could the fans actually do better? Like not one, right? Like one single fan probably isn't going to be better than a coach who has a lifetime experience, but like collectively, if all the fans collectively are making the decision and it was like appropriately rewarded and this cream, you know, uh, the cream rises to the top and the, the, uh, the best fans had the most power, would they be smarter than a single coach or single dude who could be, you know, biased and blah, blah, blah. Uh, and that was the idea behind it. And we toiled around with it, um, Talked about buying a minor league team, never ended up doing it. And then fast forward almost a decade later, and I, uh, the, who ended up becoming the co-founders of this business, sort of found me and some stuff I'd published about it online many, many years earlier. Like I said, I'd been working in the mobile app and game ad tech space. Uh, I'd started another business. We were, uh, it was about to be acquired. Um, so I had a little bit of free time and uh, a little bit of money. And I was like, let's, uh, let's go buy a football team. Uh, and the idea was very much... This would be our proof of concept, but our original thought wasn't that we were going to start our own league. It was that we were going to start with this one team and then we were going to expand and get the rest of the league to come on board with us. Um, And we realized very quickly that that was 
that was a possibility. Like I, the, the product market fit was clear from the jump, like literally very first game teams in the league that we played in was called the indoor football league. Uh, it still exists. Um, mm-hmm. Average, at least back then, you know, one to 2000 live streams per game. We did over a hundred thousand on our first game. And we're like, Oh, wait a minute. And like, they're getting a couple thousand people in their stadium and we sold out like 7,000. We're like, whoa, whoa, hold on. And we had no other reason. Like the only differentiating factor was the fans called the plays. If anything, when you're an expansion team in a league like that, your numbers should be way worse because you don't have a built-in install fan base. Um, you don't have built-in sponsors, blah, blah. And uh, so we realized really quickly that it worked. Uh, there just there were a lot of challenges for, for applying it into a league that had a more rigid structure and – uh, wasn't necessarily, we thought there were things you could do above and beyond just the like basics of fans making voting and calling plays that could accelerate sort of the fan controlledness, if you will, of the sport, the interactivity and the future proofing of it. Um, mm-hmm. So it may, and it just frankly made more business sense for us to start our own league. Um, yeah. And uh, that's what we did. We uh, took another year or two to putz around and raise money and figure our stuff out and get ourselves off the ground. But then in the height of the pandemic, we launched season one. Uh, and then last year we expanded, doubled our number of our teams, doubled all of our kind of basic metrics more than doubled our revenue and some of the most important KPIs uh, and uh, expanded. And now we're looking to doing other sports as well. I love that. So before we jump into the, the other sports, because I want to talk about the evolution of fan control football to fan controlled sports and entertainment. Um, what, you know, you're, you're, you're kind of, you're, you're doing everything backwards, right? Everything, everything is, is very different from how the traditional leagues do it in the sense that, the uh, the ownership is is calling the plays and the ownership is primarily fans, but what you're also doing is you're you're leaning into the evolution of of brand right where you've got team owners that have a large social presence that have a brand outside of sport primarily though you do have athletes <clears throat> as team owners how important has that been to the expansion or or even like brand awareness of of fan control football? Yeah, it's a, it's a good question. So um, one thing I want to note, there is a difference in ours between what the fans are not that we, we did do some equity crowdfunding. So there are some fans that own parts of the team, but by and large, the millions of fans who are watching our games, the hundreds of thousands who've downloaded our app and are calling plays. The overwhelming majority of those are not the owners. Those fans are acting as the GM and the coach, which is not unlike traditional sports, right? The GM and the coach typically are not the owner of the team. Uh, mm-hmm. Those are there are different different roles within the organization. The owners, uh, in our case, the, the league is the primary owner of uh, and the holding company as uh, the primary owner of all the teams as we create new teams. And then we do have individual uh, investors. We have a handful of fans, and then we have what is most notably celebrity team owners. Um, honestly, that was sort of born out of necessity. Uh, what we learned with our proof of concept team in Salt Lake is that one of the challenges to one of the major challenges to starting a new sports league <clears throat> is the operational cost of being in lots of different cities is really high, right? You're basically, if you have an eight team league, you're basically starting eight, nine businesses when you consider the league centralized operations and eight different markets. That's eight different arenas or stadiums. You have to have rent deals with eight different marketing teams, medical staff, coaching staff, equipment, like all these things just become really, you're just way too capital and resource intensive for starting a new business, right? We, like I said, we all come from like the tech startup world. That seemed crazy to us. And then just the travel costs alone, it just, it seemed for a business where we weren't as focused on traditional revenue streams of ticket sales, merch sales, concessions. We looked at that and we're like, that's not really as scalable. You can scale way more a 
digital streaming online viewership fan base uh, than you can a in-person where you literally have physical constraints. Um, mm -hmm. So for us, we said it just makes much more sense if everyone's in one place. It can be much more cost effective. But if everyone's in one place, you don't have the traditional team model of location-based or school university-based uh, fandom. So honestly, it was, like I said, born out of necessity. So, well, what makes sense? And we looked at individual sports and said, well, there's a lot of individual sports where you're a fan of a certain athlete. That has nothing to do with where they're from. I love Tiger Woods, a big Roger Federer fan. I've been mm -hmm. to Switzerland once, right? Like I don't, I don't live in Jupiter, Florida, or, you know, like I, it doesn't have anything to do with where those people are from. It has to do with their brand and their style. Now, both of those guys happen to be really good, but like, I like Federer a lot more than I like Nadal. I don't know why, just something about his style and the way he plays and his brand that, that, that is more interesting to me. I, I've actually spent much more time in Spain than I have Switzerland. So it doesn't make any logical sense, right? <clears throat> if you go the location route. So we really took the same approach and said, all right, let's build our teams. And we started off by saying, you know, it's is football. So we should really focus on current and former NFL players that can kind of lend us that credibility. Um, and we literally just made the rounds and talked to anyone and everyone we possibly knew in that world um, to, uh, to start develop relationship. And, uh, we were lucky that there were a few, uh, folks who sort of saw the vision and saw the future and joined early. I'm actually, I'm wearing a, one of our teams is called the Glacier Boys. I'm wearing a Glacier Boys shirt today. Uh, and Richard Sherman, who is the NFL player as part of the Glacier Boys, was actually our very first, uh, celebrity owner who came in. He was at the time, he had just signed with the Niners and was still playing. He's you know, since retired. Uh, he introduced us to Marshawn who then joined and then, you know, all of a sudden starts to build and, and grow from there. But the cool part is that each of these teams has its own style. Like Richard and Marshawn, even though they're friends, didn't want to be on the same team. They thought it was more fun to be on different teams. And they have very different styles. Richard is swag and cool and shit-talking and brash, right? Marshawn is more like just going to punch you in your mouth and be tough, right? So yeah. the Glacier Boys, Richard's team, his other owners, to your point, are not necessarily athletes. It's Quavo, the rapper. Mm -hmm. uh, it's Destroying, who's a YouTuber who used to play football. Mm -hmm. Uh, and it's guys who have a very similar style of that swag, cool, brash style. And then Marshawn's team is like the tough, hard-nosing teams. Like one of his co-owners is a guy named Miro, who's an AEW wrestler. The two of them mm -hmm. never knew each other before we did this, but they're a similar big, bad, tough style, right? And their team's yeah. the Beast. Uh, and then he's also brought along, he brought along his cousin, Marcus Peters, he brought along his friend, Todd Gurley, who's all part of the Beast. So it's really neat to see these ownership groups come together. And then a byproduct of that, as we start doing it, we thought to ourselves, well, heck, you know, what's really great about this is we're also going to get really awesome distribution. And I think the owners help a lot on content creation and awareness, which ultimately drives acquisition and engagement. Um, because, the, you know, as a fan for this relatively new league, especially when we first started, you can, you know, we can have Marshawn, although he doesn't like to do a lot of interviews. That's his whole thing, right? I'm just here to not get fined. But he does on stuff that he likes and is cool. And luckily, this is one of those things. Or Richard, who's great and does tons of press and media for it. Um, they'll come to the venue, they'll shake hands, kiss babies, uh, you know, make the, uh, uh, give the fans uh, a sort of extra added element of excitement, social content, all that good stuff, which really helps drive, like I said, that awareness and acquisition for us. That's awesome. I, the, I, obviously from a brand awareness perspective, obviously, you know, creating brands around the, the celebrity ownership is, is awesome. It does, it shows on the field, it shows through the ownership group, it shows in the branding. Um, the stat that blew me away, I, I was reading the, the Harvard Business Review article on, uh, on you guys recently, and uh, the stat that blew me away was the 75% engagement rate during voting, I believe, on Wednesdays for during the draft. Voting. Oh, no, no, that, that's period. 
of people who have downloaded our app, it's like, it's actually more, it's like 76% have voted at least once. And then it's like a shockingly high number vote multiple times. Now, part of that's a user experience, right? We built the user yeah. experience. So the first thing we're trying to get you to do, now you have to come in, historically, you had to come in and register and then we'd prompt you to vote. We're actually changing that now where we're not requiring a registration. Um, okay. Because historically we only had one league and you join one team. Now we mm -hmm. have multiple leagues and teams. So we want you to take the time to be able to say, oh, I want a basketball or football or whatever other sport we're doing. Uh, so we're opening it up a little more and providing more up, uh, content before the kind of reg wall, if you will. Um, you, we create an anonymized account in the background. So if any actions you do yeah. take, you still get the points for them once you do pick your team. But uh, historically it was part of what we prompted you for. So it's not that shocking. It was a high rate, but honestly, I come from mobile app and game marketing world where like a large amount of the downloads you receive never do anything, right? right. They download it and the app sits in the phone and it either never gets opened or gets opened once and they, they kill it. So the mm -hmm. idea that we have such a high percentage, I think is really, is very promising for the business. Honestly, one of the, I think one of the major reasons for that is that we've been lucky to have seen a pretty luck's probably the wrong word, but uh, we have successfully seen a fair amount of organic growth. A very small percentage of uh, our users have actually come from traditional paid media. And then the interesting mm -hmm. thing about the paid media part is those users, that cohort behaves almost identically to the, to the non attributed or organic users that come in. And I do think a big part of that is the, celebrity appeal and awareness that is able to be generated. So people aren't coming in totally unqualified, but sort of like, oh yeah, this thing, I know about that. I saw this person post about it. I saw this article, blah, blah, blah. Um, and uh, have like kind of a reason to be engaged. And honestly, it's just fun. Like, yeah. We make it really fun for fans. That's the point. Yeah. And, and I think that's, I think that's really important. Uh, it's fun to watch the game. It's fun to participate yes. in the game. And typically that, that is a challenge for traditional leagues. It's it's fun when you're there. They they do a lot to invest in the experience around it. Um, but there's a lot of distractions when you're not there. You guys are making it fun when you're not there as well. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. Giving people stuff to do, not just on game day. I mean, out of the millions and millions of votes that we've had at this point, <clears throat> I think only half or maybe even less than half now uh, was getting close to it. And now we've been out of season. So it's the, the non-live the non have, have added up. Um, but over half our votes or close to are not happening on game days. They're happening all different times of the day, week, year, right? So our goal is really to, to have an experience that fans can participate in 24, seven, 365, where the, cause you can't, you're not logistically can't be live playing sports all day, every day. Um, but where the things they're doing that are not on game day are giving them extra boost and power on game day, which is not mm -hmm. unlike the athletes that play on the field, right? Or the coaches, right? Coaches, sure, a coach gets, you know, criticized or, or you know, patted on the back for their performance on game day. But the reality is that's three hours of the week. They're spending every other waking moment, you know, game planning, breaking down film, doing all that stuff in advance to be ready for game day. So we really try to create that experience for our fans as well, where they're prepping and building themselves up to then utilize it on game day. Yeah, I love that. So that's actually a nice segue into uh, into to what's next. Um, so fan control football successful. The the stats are are tremendous. The organic growth is you know it's it's awesome. If I had to make a a guess, I would I would guess that your audience skews younger than than most other leagues, which makes sense based on the technology. Uh, talk to us about what what is fan controlled sports and entertainment because I'm I'm excited about this. Yeah, so you are exactly right. Our, that is I think, the big key to us is that um, Gen Z 
and even younger millennials uh, and certainly whatever's what we're calling the next generation coming um, yeah. aren't the way in which they consume content and media is very different than folks who grew up in a linear world, right? If you, if you were born and raised in a digital environment in the last 20 years, the way in which you consume content is different. It's mobile, it's short form, it's social. Um, and so they just aren't sitting, like you look at any, any survey, any data, any metrics, the ages, the average age of viewership of traditional major sports leagues keeps getting older and younger people are spending less and less time sitting on the couch watching a three-hour basketball game or baseball. I mean, you see all the changes that baseball has made lately, right, to bring in shorter clock. That's, that's a, I mean, I appreciate them doing it, but it's a very, very basic baby step into what, it, what we're trying to get at, which is that that's not what people want to see. That just isn't the reality. And it's not going back the other way. Right. I don't see a, I don't see a universe where the next generation is like, you know what? No, I do want to sit on the couch for four hours and lean back and watch a game and not being here. Like, that's just not how this is going. Uh, and so our focus is really on creating interactive sports entertainment experiences that caters to that Gen Z audience. And you can see it in all of our metrics. Eighty five percent of our audience is 18 to 34. I saw something the day uh, I think it was the XFL was talking about um, their reach. And it was like they'd had like nine hundred and something thousand viewers. And they were, they were excited that 300 something thousand of them were 18 to 49. And in my mind, I was like, oh my God, that means like two thirds are over 49. Like oh, we are completely like, hard the opposite, right? We are, the vast majority are well under it. Uh, and so people do always ask like, oh, is, who's your competition? Is it XFL, USFL? I mean, I guess, honestly, my competition is whatever 18 to 35 year olds are doing with their time. So mm -hmm. it's probably more Fortnite and Call of Duty and NBA 2K than it is actually other traditional sports leagues. Um, and so we take that mentality now and say, all right, we've done a good job with football. Still, certainly there's a lot of room for growth and opportunity there. But to have our fans engaged year round, we need to be doing more different things. And it also opens up a much broader market for us, right? American football is great in the U.S., doesn't really have much of a footprint globally. Uh, and we believe that part of the opportunity for us is global scale uh, from a, a market and an audience standpoint. So our next thing that we are working on right now is fan-controlled hoops, which mm -hmm. will be our own owned and operated fan-controlled basketball league uh, that is slated to come out this summer, um, which uh, will be really awesome. Uh, I know I know what we've been working on behind the scenes. I know what it looks like and what we've been testing, and I am super excited for the rest of the world to see it. It legitimately looks and feels like NBA 2K for real life, like the visual of what we're doing with this interactive court and the app and game experiences, it's going to blow some people's minds, I think, when we come out with it, uh, which is awesome. I'm very excited about that. And it's just really fun. Like It's a yeah. very fun game to see and participate in. Basketball certainly opens up to a much broader set of international market. It also is um, much more friendly for the players uh, and the types of people we can have involved in, in the business, mm -hmm. uh, male, female, young, old. Football is a little tough, right? Um, there, you know, we've had very famous NFL players uh, who had planned to come play in our league and then watched part of it and were like, "Ooh, wait a minute, I don't want to take a hit like that anymore." <laughs> and these are guys who took, who have done it in the NFL for many years. So yeah. I, you can imagine a regular like you and I can't play in our football league, right? Like yeah. we wouldn't yeah. last three plays; we would leave and have to go to the hospital. You and I can play in our basketball league now. We're going to get dunked on. We're going to get embarrassed. <laughs> it's going to be ugly, but we'll leave. You know, our our, uh, uh, our egos might be bruised, but we'll probably survive the game. Uh, yeah. And so I think it just it lends itself to a lot more opportunity. I'm not suggesting either of us should be playing in any of our leagues. But then you start to think about all the other kind of sports opportunities. So we've been talking a lot with you know, taking the learnings that we had 
from our proof of concept team where we played in another league and saying, all right, we know that works. We, we love the idea of owned and operated in full stack leagues because honestly, from a value accrual perspective, that's great, but it's also capital and resource intensive. So is there a way for us to do both effectively giving our fans opportunity to participate in fan controlled sports year round, allowing us to R&D and test new sports and working with other leagues who, I mean, honestly, I think could really use a lot of them. Uh, the, there's a lot of alternative sports leagues in golf and hockey and, and even basketball and football and sports that we're in that I think are missing that level of interactivity format content that really lends itself to the audience that I think is what they actually want to go after. So I think there's opportunities yeah. for us to partner with them uh, to help bring our existing audience, our technology uh, and know-how of how to kind of execute it with other sports <laughs> formats that we're probably not going to be ones building out anytime too soon. Yeah, that's interesting. I thought a lot about when I was reading up on Tomorrow Golf, what Rory and, and Tiger and group are doing. I mean, I immediately started to think about your technology and the integration. Um, I, I, um, I love that group. I love that team. I think what they what they have planned, from what I've seen, is really awesome. The venue, from what I've seen, looks amazing. Um, mm-hmm. And certainly, I think a lot of opportunity with folks like that uh, to, uh, to create. Um, and golf's another one that's just so cool because of the, the handicapping. Where again, mm-hmm. you can make it so much more accessible to different types of personalities, people who can be there. I think there's so many natural ways in which you can gamify the gameplay experience of it to make it interactive for fans. Um, yep. It's one that I'm excited about. Absolutely. And a, a sport like golf, a sport like tennis, um, some of the individual sports where the the line between the best and the just didn't quite make it um, is so small that you still see yeah. an immense amount of talent. Uh, out of athletes that aren't on the the premier stage and uh, and and you know I, I'm I'm a huge college sports fan. I went to mm-hmm. the U, uh, uh, which used to be a football school. Now we've become a basketball school, <laughs> kind of like fan controlled sports. Migrating from football to basketball, uh, playing Duke today, big day. Uh, yeah. And um, even at a college like Miami, even when we were great, even when I was there and we were you know the best team ever, still the majority of the guys on the t- on the football team did not make the NFL, right? right. But they're plenty talented enough to put on really great football on Saturdays. Um, and it's the same thing with college basketball or, you know, G league, other basketball. There is, there is certainly there is elite top level talent, but there are, I mean, the MLS is not the best soccer players in the world, not even close, right? It's not even a top mm-hmm. two or three league in the world, but still is a great business and very entertaining. So I think there is enough global talent in sports that even if you aren't the very, very top, you can still build a really nice business, yeah. especially if you're doing things that adapt the gameplay rules format experience for the fans to make it really a more entertaining product. Yeah. That always blew my mind. I went to uh, the Ohio state university and yeah. you know, same thing, right? When I was there, we were, we were the best. We lost, uh, lost a couple of national championships, but it was seeing some of those, those athletes and uh, trying to figure out how they couldn't play at the next level or wouldn't play at the next level was mind blowing because they were yeah. so good. Uh, and that was not a small stage. Um, awesome. This is, it's, it's really interesting to talk to you. We could obviously go on for, for a long time diving into to some of the mechanics. Um, but I think people should experience it for themselves. I have to, uh, I do have to, to finish with a very interesting question to ask you. Uh, so when, when, when we kind of finish these, these conversations, I, I like to ask the guests uh, what their, what upstart league or um, call it international expansion league uh, or sport 
they are most excited about or most interested in that is not either something they've invested in or, um, or, or their own property in this case. And I'm curious, what are you, what are you excited about? Yeah. Uh, two kind of mine. Well, you, you already hit one of them tomorrow. I'm very interested in, um, mm-hmm. I just think the idea of being able to build out a centralized digital experience for golf that doesn't necessitate the physical, uh, requirements of a traditional golf, you know, where you have to have a whole course and blah, blah, I think is fascinating. Um, and starts to blend itself into a virtual space. Uh, since we've already talked about that, the second one on my mind is actually a, a buddy of mine's business that I think is flying under the radar and probably shouldn't be. So hopefully he doesn't mind me giving him a plug. Uh, it's, called, it's called Commonwealth and it is fractional horse ownership. Uh, and they, I own like a hoof of one of their horses uh, <laughs> and anyone can buy in. I, I think it's like literally like as cheap as like 50 bucks up to like thousands of dollars. And they, it's, you know, all, I don't know, all the reg CF or however the, the rules work, they've gone through all that legalese and they're out actually getting, you know, top-notch horses that you get to own a part in. And then they create these really awesome experiences around the big races and they've hit, they had, they've got a horse, this horse country grammar, I think is running in to defend his Dubai cup. He finished second in the Saudi cup was in like the Derby. Like they, like within their first few horses, they've actually had a couple of like really big winners. This guy, I think this one was like the number one horse. And so I think, that to me is really interesting because you're taking a sport that I don't know how many times you've been to like a racetrack that isn't like going to the Derby. Cool. That's an experience, blah, blah, blah. Like going to a racetrack on like a normal Wednesday, it's tough, right? Yeah. Like it's a pretty run. I, I, I like sports betting, but it's a pretty rough crowd of yeah. old salty degenerates. So yeah. the idea that you can kind of bring in, but it's a really fun sport, like horse racing and then having a part of it. Like it's a really exciting, interesting sport. Um, and again, one that you can do without having to be the ones who have the capital to build a venue and like that, that is a hard thing to do. So I love the idea that you could start a new business in that space, bring in a whole net new audience, um, and just create a different format for it where the, the fans literally get to participate and root along because they own a piece of that horse. So I'd say they're very interesting. And, uh, I love the idea of fan controlled anything. So fan controlled horse racing. I think it'd be a, a fun one coming soon. And speaking of animals, I have to throw this out because see, I'm seeing myself in the Glacier Boy shirt. Uh, this is like, we have really awesome engagement for our fans, right? As expected. I, I don't want to, you know, obviously the point of our business is to have our fans control the team. They should really care about their favorite team. You would expect our diehard fans to be diehard and they are, and that's awesome. And I love it. We had um, a fans this week of the Glacier Boys Uh, The Glacier Boys, like, mascot is, like, a sort of iced-out polar bear, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, we have some diehard fans of the Glacier Boys who bought a polar bear. So it turns out there's, like, you know, some, like, polar bear rescue website where for some meaningful, nominal amount of different money, you can buy one. And it's, like, a specific one. So, like, this polar bear has a GPS tracker. They can track him around. He's somewhere up in, like, northern Canada on a (laughs) lake right now. And they named him after the Glacier Boys – uh, star receiver, franchise tag receiver. So each of our teams let our fans pick each season a player they're going to give a franchise tag to, meaning he can't be drafted by anyone else. So their star receiver is guy Andrew Jamil. They've named their polar bear Andrew Jamil. So somewhere around, roaming around Canada is a Glacier Boy, pol- an actual physical polar bear named Andrew Jamil. And their idea is that each year they're going to buy another one and it'll be like their version of a ring of honor with like yeah. whoever their best player, franchise tag player. Oh, I cool. love that. The creativity of that, and the idea that like fans are able to do that for a team and that, like the player and the team can know about it and recognize it. I just think like as a sports fan, like how fucking cool is that? Like yeah. that is just so yeah. awesome. They can have that connection. 
Like that, that's just not something that exists in traditional regular sports. So to me, that's my fun anecdote of the week that uh, I think it's all about, can you give the power to the fans and make them really feel a part of it? And when they are, they really care and really, you know, yeah. fan, fan is short for fanatic, right? Like that's what people really want to be with yeah. sports. So anyhow. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, you hit on a lot of things. You're, you're, you're kind of leading the, the direction on the fan engagement side, you know, also you're, as far as I'm concerned, creating one of the most approachable uh, web three environments that that exists, right? I'm a big, as we, we've discussed, I'm a, I'm a huge fan of utility um, as it exists in web three and something tangible that you can own, that you can feel, that you can touch, that you can participate in. Um, and I think all of that is, is, is very early days, but at the end of the day, it comes down to like, you just kind of gave like a, an old school example, right. Of, of owning, the, the rights to that that polar bear and naming it right and then kind of connecting that to the 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 world that you guys are, are living in so I'm excited to see what you do next I also think fractional horse ownership is incredibly cool, um, cool right? and if you spend a day at any track yes you're right it is you know be prepared but yeah. <laughs> uh, on the other side of it they're running all day and it's actually yes, like yeah. quite like yeah. you go spend a day at Saratoga one of those tracks like when a Thursday, right? Like middle of the week, whatever. Um, they're running all day. There's action all day. It can get any fan base involved and you don't have to bet a ton of money and you can still like play a role in it. So tracking your horse um, and, and kind of watching him race and feel like you're, you're, you're an owner there is, is super interesting. So I'm excited. Uh, I'm excited to see what you guys do next. I'm excited for pan controlled hoops. Uh, I'm, I'm excited for you. I think that, you know, it's amazing to see an entrepreneur who's, uh, vision, you know, 10 years ago with a couple of buddies is is coming to reality uh, and all of the pieces that are that are powering it maybe didn't exist 10 years ago and you're leaning yeah. into those um, and you're doing it in, in an incredibly effective way and the numbers don't lie and the experience doesn't lie. So, well, th um, thank you. I appreciate that. And yeah, I do think that is a big part of it. The When we first had this idea a long time ago, it was way too early. There was no yeah. iPhone and apps like that was we were far too early. I, I believe that we are at the right moment right now uh, for mm -hmm. it. I, I honestly think the pandemic, frankly, helped our business a lot in the early part of it because it sort of forced people to be at home and find digital ways of connecting. I think it accelerated that. Um, yep. uh, and I do think that the shifts in technology and adoption and usage of it have been so dramatic in the last half decade uh, that um, it lends itself well for us. Just got to ride the wave from here and uh, you know, hope we can keep making magic happen. Awesome. We'll keep doing it. Thanks, Grant. I appreciate it. Uh, Thanks, man. Thanks, time, and appreciate the overview. All right. Awesome. Thanks, man.